0: It's Wednesday, July 4th, 2018, the 4th of July. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is The Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Orlando, Florida. Well, The Defender Podcast is celebrating our one-year anniversary. And in celebration, if you will, go to social media and use the hashtag #TheDefenderPodcast Podcast to help us promote the podcast, as well as to give positive feedback of things that you have enjoyed or topics that you've enjoyed. Also, give us feedback by emailing us at herbie.newell at lifelinechild.org. And please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Well, happy July 4th. Today, as we celebrate the birth of our nation, let us also remember that the believer's true freedom is in Christ. Let our rejoicing today be in Christ. As we are grateful for our nation. In January of this year, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. We were together at the Focus on the Family and ERLC Evangelicals for Life conference. And this was just a fantastic interview with Dr. Aiken as he shared necessary wisdom for parenting and discipling our families. We previously released this podcast Tuesday, January 31st, but we thought we would release release it again for the 4th of July Best of the Defender podcast. Well, thank you for joining us. And I'm just thrilled to have Dr. Danny Akin with us. And he is president of Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And Dr. Aiken has meant so much to me and to my wife, uh, mostly through knowing his son Paul and his daughter in law Carrie, uh, but also just have had so many great opportunities to hear Dr. Aiken speak and proclaim the Word of God. And just Dr. Aiken, really what I wanted is a lot of the listeners of this podcast are getting engaged with orphans around the world. And our whole whole heart is that they will find a place to disciple these children. And one of the things I think you and Charlotte have just left a legacy is the way you've discipled your family. So, would you just Maybe give some practical ways That that you would encourage others To get engaged with their kids While they're young While they're growing up To really impress upon them The hope of the
1: gospel While they're young Well thank you And it's an honor to be part Of the podcast Uh, I love being a a father love being a grandfather Uh, Outside of Jesus And being married I think it's one of the greatest Blessings and gifts That God can give you It's also a big challenge Uh, It involves a lot of investment A lot of time A lot of energy A lot of work Um, I would not claim to be an expert, but uh, there are some things the Lord has shown Charlotte and me over the years that have helped us, I think, in our relationship with our kids. I often say fundamentally, uh, I could boil down uh, what I think parenting involves to two things. Hmm. Number one, teach your children to love Jesus. And number two, have fun with them.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, uh, you do those two things— And number one, I think you increase the odds they'll grow up and live a productive life. And secondly, when they get grown and have their own kids, they'll come back and see you, (laughs) which is a grandparent is a really big goal for for parents uh, and then eventually for grandparents. But growing out of that, uh, I often talk about what I call incarnational parenting, and that is simply getting down on your child's level, entering into their world, and asking and trying to understand, mm. how does my five-year-old, my ten-year-old, my fifteen or eighteen-year-old, uh, how do they see life right now? Given their sex, given their interest, mm. given their personality, you know, um, I tell folks uh, I always treated my children equally, but I didn't treat them the same. Mm. And sometimes they kind of look at me. But what I meant by that was uh, I loved them in an equal fashion. I cared for them in an equal fashion. But I recognize, by watching them, what worked for one child might not work for another. Hmm. And so you have to kind of individualize uh, your parenting skills. Sure, there are certain things that are common, but there's some things that are going to work really well with one child. That might not work so well with another, and you have to approach them in a different kind of a way. Well, I think you learn to do that by entering into their world and asking those questions. How do they look at life, given their friends, their sex, their interests, their personalities? And that gets you moving, I think, very much in the right direction.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that, as I've heard you speak, that I've just enjoyed that you talk about, and it's that second part of having fun with your kids. Mm -hmm. And I think so many times parents, Christian parents, get so uptight that we're going to mess our kids up. And sometimes I think we even forget God's sovereignty that, you know, ultimately we're responsible, but he's in control and they get so uptight and they forget to have fun with their kids and I loved what you talked about doing with your boys on Saturday mornings oh, yeah. uh, so talk a little bit about that and what you did with your boys and just the whole idea of having fun with your kids
1: well uh, my boys uh Naturally picked up from me uh, love for athletics. Now let me be clear, had they not pursued athletics uh, as children and teenagers and so on, that would have been fine with me, it really would have. But I'm a big sports fan, so they naturally gravitated toward that. So in the fall, uh, we would get up around uh, 11.30, uh, gather in the living room, uh, I'd have a pillow, a blanket, and a glass of iced tea. They would have a blanket, a pillow, and a sip cup They would lay on the floor in front of me, and from about 11.30 in the morning till 11.30 at night, every Saturday we watched college football. I had a guy one time say to me, wasn't that a huge waste? And I said, if you spend 12 hours with your children, Hmm. and in particular boys in that kind of venue... Yeah, they talk about football, but they also talk about a lot of other things as well. And so it was just a great time just to enjoy one another, have fun. I I didn't have an agenda. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to spend this time with them, but I'm going to probe. No, I just kind of let the conversations ebb and flow and go where they would. And uh, just wanted my kids to know I enjoyed having them around. I also want them to know that being a Christian doesn't mean you can't have fun. Right. In fact, if anybody should have joy and happiness uh, and and fun in their lives, it ought to be those of us who follow Christ. And I think you're exactly right what you said a moment ago, unintentionally. Uh, some parents become uh, pretty hardened Pharisees mm. They've got so many rules, so many regulations, so many do's and don'ts. uh, It's almost suffocating. Mm -hmm. And I I just don't think that's a good environment in which to raise kids that will grow up and be independent, uh, that will have uh, a, a vision for how God might do something great in their lives. And also, again, to realize I can be a devoted follower of Jesus and have great happiness, joy, and fun in the process.
0: Amen. And then two, as you're having fun with your kids, it goes back to your first point because you're learning their personalities. Absolutely. And you're learning who they are so that you know how to press upon them and treat them the way that the Lord made them and and
1: teach them the way the Lord made them. Exactly, because again, my twins were your classic firstborn uh, children, so they were pleasers, natural-born pleasers. Timothy, my youngest, uh, well, he came out of his mother's womb with his fist up, (laughs) uh, and what you see is what you get, whether you like it or not. Paul, the one you know so well, was the middle child, and he was a typical... Again, you say that's a stereotype. Well, yeah, but he was more... uh, quiet he was the one that wouldn't commit to anything uh he was just in between the little one and the big <laughs> ones and uh what would work with him was completely different with what would work well with timothy on the young end and the twins on the upper age and of course you get it figured out about the time they leave the home and uh, then uh you know it's done and, and again i don't want to say this to those listening. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Mm. And so we all are flawed. We all make mistakes. And I would say this. When you mess up with your kids, have the humility to go to them, acknowledge it, and ask for their forgiveness. It's Mm. not, uh, I'm sorry, but, or please forgive me, but. No, it's, I'm sorry. I messed up. I was wrong. And here's what I came to understand, at least with my sons. They didn't think less of their dad Mm. when he would admit that he made a mistake because they knew I screwed up. (laughs) Actually, I think I rose in their eyes because I was being honest about my own shortcomings and my own failures. And uh, in my life in ministry, and I'm now 40 years into it, I've had too many times people say to me, I've never once heard my dad admit that he made a mistake. I've never Mm. once heard my dad say he was sorry. And uh, that's not a sign of strength. Mm. Uh, that's a sign of weakness, and it doesn't help your family. It mm. damages your family.
0: Yeah, and I know so many families that are fostering or adopting mm-hmm. or caring for kids from hard places. Yes. They struggle, and and in those struggle times, you make mistakes. You work out of your flesh, and what a, what a great thing to even make bonds when you're going to your child and you're apologizing yes. for mistakes and, and for, for things that you've done. Well, I know a lot of... The listeners also are, are really feel the call and the burden of the Lord for missions, mm-hmm. and even missionally they look at caring for orphans or adoption as as part of what God's called them to for the nations. And you've done so much at Southeastern to really bring uh, a great commission type atmosphere to that seminary. And then you've also written a book on 10 people that changed the world, the missionaries, and just a great book if, if people haven't read it. But your life has been defined and your ministry has been defined, and now your sons even have been defined about going to the nations. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about just the importance of the
1: mandate to go to all nations. Well, the Great Commission, I believe, starts at home. Uh, Jesus gave us his final marching orders, go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, I think that begins in your home where you make disciples of your children. But your goal in making disciples of your children is that they would also become Great Commission Christians. They would have what I call the Great Commission germ infecting their DNA, which (laughs) is a really good thing for your kids to have. Of course, they're going to pick that up Uh, not by being taught so much as being caught. Mm. And so I think in our own family, my son saw the developing passion. And I have to admit and be honest, it developed later. Mm. I wish I'd done more when they were children and early teens. uh, But they were into athletics. Our world was full of stuff. And i just be honest with you, the Great Commission for me at that time in my life was something I prayed for something I gave for but other people did that that was for other people that went to the nations I had a, a, a an inadequate view that uh, the Great Commission actually is for everybody mm. we do our part in different ways, but the Great Commission is for everybody. Spurgeon said uh, either you're a missionary or you're an imposter. Mm. Now, wrongly understood, that'll send you on a guilt trip. Mm. Rightly understood, it helps you realize I, too, am playing a part in reaching all the nations with the gospel. And so as Charlotte and I got more and more active in going and and getting engaged with students all around the world, uh, I think that was picked up... um, by my children, Uh, God certainly uh, motivated them because of the four sons, uh, though all are in ministry, two went to the mission field, Tim uh, and Paul. And uh, in neither case, with them or the others, did I ever say, I want you to be a missionary. What I said was, I want you to grow up and serve and honor Jesus, and whatever that looks like, your dad will be happy. And really, both of them came to me Not to ask me what I thought about them going to the mission field. They came to me telling me they were going (laughs) to the mission field. And I have to admit, it brought great great delight to my heart uh, that God had worked in that kind of a way. So I think, again, watching your parents and seeing that that is a passion they have is going to go a long way instilling that same kind of Great Commission passion in their heart. And again, even though the others have not gone to the nations as career missionaries, <coughs> they've been very active <coughs> Excuse me, in getting their churches very much involved in the Great Commission. Yeah. And
0: one of the stories that you told and uh, when you were preaching one time on the Great Commission— was having parents coming into your office when their their sons or their daughters had this call to go to the mission field? Um, and uh, I'd love for you to retell that story. Uh, but a lot of families feel called to adoption or they feel called to foster or they feel called to go overseas. And one of the biggest obstacles in their lives are their parents,. I know who don't want them to go, who really just want them to be in their backyard, right around them. But the call of the gospel is on them. God's audible call is on them to adopt or to foster. And so many times the impediment is their family who doesn't understand. So if you could talk to those families the way you did
1: in your office that day, what would you say? Well, unfortunately, it's happened more than once. But I've had parents sit down with me uh, with their children even present and say to me, well, uh, look, there there are lost people in Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. you pick the state, and uh, there's no reason for my children to have to go to a dangerous place, and they certainly don't need to take my grandchildren away from me. And they can really kind of get pretty adamant and bow up, and uh, they can make all sorts of nice arguments about why their children should come back to their home state probably even to their own city, and serve just down the road from mom and dad. And what I often have said to uh, parents is, so option A, your children are overseas, but they're in the center of God's will. Option B, they're down the street from you, but they're out of God's will. Mm. Would you really rather it be B than A? I mean, really? Mm. And most of the time, that has caused at least a pause in the parents, and they will almost always say, especially if they're Christians, well, I don't want them out of God's will. And I said, well, if His will is for them to go, then you should want them to go. Hmm. And here's the deal. God will take care of them, and God will provide adequate opportunities for you to still engage your children and your grandchildren. Hmm. And I said, I'd rather my kids be 15,000 miles away in God's will, mm-hmm. then right across the street from me, out of God's will and hating God. Mm-hmm. I would not want that. And so that tends to kind of bring perspective to the parents. Most of them, I just don't think they've thought about it like mm-hmm. that, because what they're in essence saying is, I'd rather you be out of God's will, but near to me. Mm-hmm. Do you really, really mean that? And if you have a scintilla of love for Jesus in your heart, that's, that's going to be a pretty difficult thing to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So kind of
0: in closing. I'd love to hear because so many families come to us and they feel called to do something that they very specific that the Lord's put in their life and you know their parents don't understand and and they're fighting through we want to honor our parents. Yes. And absolutely. we don't want to just run roughshod over them, but we also know that our first call is to the Lord what he's calling us to do. And
1: so what would you tell those families that, that is, are in that place and struggling? That with is a great question. I tell the children who sense God's call to the field, as you just said a moment ago, uh, you honor your parents.
0: Mm.
1: You uh, you treat them with respect. You want to get them to move in their perspective to where you are. Well, you're not going to do that by guilting them. Mm. You're not going to do that by uh, talking in a condescending way to them. You're going to get them there by honoring them, respecting them, and loving them there. Mm. And so, just as it probably gave one of you, usually the mates, one of them starts down the mission field path and then the other one comes along, mm. and sometimes that takes weeks, months, or years. Mm. I said, just as it took time for the two of you to get on the same page on this, you ought to honor your parents and give them time to mm. get on the same page. Now, granted, if they never get there and God says go, you go. Mm. But you can go in a way that honors your parents, and you can go in a way that dishonors them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes out of our zeal, we have a a passion and a zeal, but we lack the, the knowledge that guides that zeal. And I try to help them understand that it's never right... Uh, to do even the right thing in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. It does matter how you do something. Just as I say to them, you know, just in talking to your mate, you don't just need to say the right thing, but you need to say the right thing in the right way at the <laughs> right time. And of course, they all laugh because all of them have been down that mm-hmm. marriage trail. And I say, well, the same thing is true with your parents. You need to try to discern from the Lord how to say the right thing in the right way at the right time and then give God time. Mm-hmm. To work on their hearts and in not every case but in so many cases I've seen the Lord do exactly that to where their parents then not only were willing to release them uh, their parents became their biggest uh, and mm. most supportive uh, enthusiasts for them to go Amen. well I know even and with Paul
0: your son when when Ashley and I spent two months in China mm-hmm. you know I'm an internal processor and I'd always already thought I'd love to take the family for extended time but I hadn't really shared that as much with her. She knew it was in my heart, but she didn't know that was like something I was wanting to do. And then when this sabbatical opportunity came from the board, I just said, hey, this is what I think we should do. And she had her mind set on three weeks at the beach. And, not two years uh, in China. Not two not months in, in China. China. Uh, but, but the advice is so sound because I told her and we started praying together and I saw the Lord make that desire right. her desire. And I think she would easily say that that was probably one of the most impactful things we've ever done with our family, is that, that two months that we were concentrating. We'll
1: give through. that space to our mate, Why don't we give that space to our parents? Amen.
0: Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you, Dr. Akin, as always. The Lord has given you and blessed you with so much wisdom. And I'm just grateful for the way that you consistently give that back to him. But he's obviously using you and the sacrifices that you're making at Southeastern and with your family and by proclaiming the message of God. So thank you. Thank you. My honor. Well, remember that the Defender Podcast is celebrating our one-year anniversary. And please go to social media using the hashtag TheDefenderPodcast. Email us at herbie.newell at lifelinechild.org to give us feedback. And make sure to rate us on iTunes or your favorite pod listening app. And thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email Email us directly at info at Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless.
1: We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.